0: What's happening guys? Happy effing Friday. I'll explain that later. And thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. The interim heavyweight title fight between Derek Lewis and Surreal Gone takes place tomorrow. And later in the show, I will give you my official prediction. Also, coming up today, the UFC has signed a teammate of Israel Adesanyas. Simone Biles made her return, and I've got an important question about Conor McGregor's injury. That's all later. But let's begin with some news that came out this week. Okay, so apparently Luke Rockhold was offered Sean Strickland. We were to- Dana told someone in the media this. I think it came out through a tweet Luke Rockhold got asked about it and he confirmed Here's what Luke said. I think is trying harder than it has to be, obviously, just because of my outspokenness on different things, Rock Hole told Submission Radio, but this kid, Sean, has been offered to me, so they're trying to do something. I haven't heard any dates or anything like that, but that is something they're interested in, and yeah, let's do it. I mean, he doesn't help himself in any way, shape, or form with his style and his performance on the mic. They offered me Sean actually a while back, Rockhold said, and I wasn't interested just because he's a effing nobody, and it wasn't the fight that I wanted. It didn't make any sense. No one knew of him, and I didn't give two Fs about him, and now it's like Dana's trying to piss me off with it. And now, he's obviously been out there, he beat Uriah Hall, he looked decent, and he's got a, a ranking. So there's something to work with now, I guess. They offered it to Uriah. Uriah chose Strickland instead of me. They offered the Chimaya fight. Obviously, that didn't come to be. I liked it. That was exciting. That kind of got me up. I don't know. This is what we have. And there were some other fights that kind of messed around with me. So this is seemingly going to happen. They've just got to get a good date and somebody that's a effing sexy and timely. I want a fight that's intriguing. I've done my thing. I've been champion of two different divisions. I've taken my time away. I've been through lots of surgeries. I want something that's going to get me fired up and I don't want it to just keep following through and they're like, hey, Sean Strickland. I'm like, who the F is Sean Strickland? What the F are you talking about? Is that going to make me a comeback? So I'm like, sure, you better give me something better than that and nothing that I'm going to come back for, and month after month, and it's just like they effing gave me a couple of other options, and then those two options fell through, and everyone's being a B-I-T-C-H about it. Every option, so here we go. This is it. All right, guys, I'm done. I can't read anymore. <laughs> there is something about that response that is compelling, though. Look, nobody wants to fight Sean Strickland. That's the truth that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to fight Luke Rockholt. That's another truth that nobody wants to talk about. Getting Luke Rockhold and Sean Strickland together, wonderful idea. I'm all in. How are you going to build a fight with Sean Strickland? I'm just asking you a question. How are you going to build a fight with Sean Strickland? You want to bring some attention to it. At the same time, the guy doesn't leave you a lot of room to tease him. There isn't a blueprint for how to beat Sean Strickland. He's looked pretty damn good. His record is pretty damn good. What do you do? I submit for you, Rockhold just did it. Just tell the truth on how you feel about it. He said, I couldn't get up for it. I didn't know who the F this kid was. Okay, that's probably true. That is probably true. Sean was not known by anybody until a recent period of time, maybe even as early as a week ago when he fought Uriah Hall. I mean, it is one of those things. I shared my story with you guys. When I met Sean, he was 21 years old. He was 17 and 0. He was King of the King champion. I didn't believe it. I didn't think think a 21-year-old could have 17 fights. I was wrong, but I would go in the category of people that just didn't know who and or what a Sean Strickland is. And imagine Rock Holt was to come out and deny this. That would have been good, because plenty of people would and or are going to deny Sean Strickland, but they would have done the typical, oh, he isn't ranked high enough, and people don't know who he is, and I think his style's warm, and all the ways to get out of a fight. Rock Holt dealt with it. Rock Holt said, I'll fight him. Said, I wanted to fight Chemayev. I got no problem with any of it. I don't know who he is. I don't like his style. Let's go out and fight. I'm just submitting for you. That's a good way to handle it. The truth will set you free. Not everything has to be a show. Not everything has to be a shtick. Not everything has to be a yo mama joke. Sometimes there's no jokes at all. I didn't know who the guy was. Man, he looks pretty damn good. Saw what he did to Uriah. Let's see if he can do it to me. I'm on board for that fight. I think that Luke Rockhold's got a bad rap. I really have. Luke Rockholt's a former champion of the world. He matters. His words matter. His placement within the sport matters. Can he beat Sean Strickland? Well, There's only one way to find out. That's between the two of them. But I do appreciate Luke's efforts here. I look forward to hearing what Sean has to say and if this fight gets made, I'm in. Luke Rockholt and Sean Strickland will fight in November at middleweight. The division ran by Israel Adesanya. And because you probably missed it, I want to take a moment to tell you about one of the UFC's newest members, who is a teammate of Adesanya's at City Kickboxing. A kid named Blood Diamond just got signed with the UFC welterweight. Let me ask you a question. How many fights has he had? You're gonna guess, of course. You're gonna guess. I was asked this same question by my buddy Ryan. You want to know what my response was? eleven. Threw it out there, but okay, he signed by the UFC, welterweight, 11 fights on the regional scene. Guys had three. The guys had three fights. So what does that tell us? He's good at something, right? He's good at something. There's only a couple of ways in with that few of fights. Fewest fights I've ever seen was BJ Penn, who debuted in the UFC. But that was also a different time and a different era. BJ Penn was also a world champion in jiu-jitsu which represented the first ever American to do it. So BJ had some paper behind him. He had some people vouching but he debuted in the UFC. Cain Velasquez got to the UFC very quickly. I cannot recall how many fights, but that was a simple fact of Javier Mendez told Dana White, "No one will fight this guy. No one will give him a fight." Dana's in a position where Dana can get him fights. Did him a favor and got him in. Blood Diamond We're going to call him Blood Diamond, right? We won't ever forget that name. This kid from Africa. He's a world champion at something. I'm going to guess kickboxing. Oh, why am I guessing kickboxing? I left out one of the most important parts of the story. He's from City Kickboxing. That's Volkanovsky's gym. That's Dan Hooker's gym. That's Izzy Adesanya's gym. Okay, so they've got a level of clout. City Kickboxing has, just that I know of, just that I I haven't looked this up, that I know of seven guys in the UFC. Blood Diamond is number eight. That's what I know of. I think they're closer to 11. They had a card to them one time with four guys on it. Now, somebody over there is doing a damn good job. And I don't know who's managing those guys. I know Eugene Berryman trains them. But I don't know that he manages them or even that they all have the same manager. But there is a tie-in, which is City Kickboxing, which is Eugene Berryman, which is the teammates that appear to be helping one another. I love it. I love it. I came through Team Quest and we had two UFC belts in the room, we had a heavyweight title with Randy, we had the middleweight belt with Evan, but we had the pride belt as well with Henderson. In front of all of that, Matt Lindland was ranked number one in the world. He wasn't the champion, but he was ranked number one. Okay. I only share that with you because I remember at Team Quest, in as good of a position as we were in, we didn't have one guy in the UFC. We didn't have one guy in Pride. And it was a very hard spot to be in, being one of the guys that was aspiring. You're looking around. You're doing your part and helping everyone out. And you're waiting for that phone call to be made on your behalf. And it was just a tough spot. I don't resent anybody, but I do resent that time period that I was waiting for somebody else to make that phone call for me. I look at city kickboxing, it's just the opposite. One guy gets up in the loft, he throws the ladder down so other guys can climb up. Maybe it's Eugene Berryman working the phone. Maybe it's the manager that over, somebody gets credit here. That's a real team. That's what a real team does. You help somebody else to get there. You leave the ladder down so somebody else can climb up. I just look at it and go, and I had to have that talk one time. You guys remember the late great, but Robert Follis. And Robert was our head coach, fantastic coach, but he was trying to get into managing, right? I remember talking to him one day and saying, Coach, we're the only gym in the world. This was that Team Quest. We were sitting on the mats. I said, Coach, we're the only gym in the world that has a world title in a major organization and has nobody else signed. Certainly, you can get a hold of Dana, certainly you've got a favor somewhere. How come it isn't being used to get guys signed? I wasn't complaining, I said it just in this tone. And Robert said, well, I I suppose you want that one guy to be you. And I said, coach, it would help morale around here if it was anyone, if anyone got signed. Because then we would at least have opportunity that that guy could be then owed a favor and get somebody. I was just trying to share my point and it went on very deaf ears. Went on very deaf ears, he was a little surprised that I was even asking. I was surprised that we were the only organization, only gym in the world that had nobody signed to an organization we had the belts in, right? Pride, UFC was just one of these things, observation. So when I see City Kickboxing getting through and I'll tell you how my story ended, I never got that phone call made. I went to practice every single day Hoping that call would be made It never got made And I finally got Joe Silva's email address It was real easy too It was Jay Silva right? I, sh- I should have guessed it but I did it Sent him an email He didn't know me Never met I sent him an email and that night I had a UFC contract So when I When I say that sometimes You have to be the one to make the phone call I've, I've spoken to young fighters before. I said, chill. Here's what I've done. I, I went through Abu Dhabi and I was an all-American and I, I've had three fights on the regional scene. I'm just waiting for that call to come. Make sure you understand because that's awesome and we've all been there, but just make sure you understand that that's an expression. Waiting for that call to come is an expression. Do not take that literal. Go get that resume that you thinks beautiful and make the call. And you generally are going to have to have a favor. I mean, you're going to to have to know somebody to get that phone call answered and or returned. That's okay. And I will tell you, as soon as I got in the UFC, the very first thing I did is I got another guy in the UFC. I did did not want to be in the same spot. That it wasn't just me. It was all of my teammates. We had one of the biggest gyms in the world. We were ranked number one. Somebody did a world ranking, how official that is, but only one guy did it, and for three years in a row, Team Quest was number one. And there's only a small handful of gyms, so when I tell you how big we were, it was one of those things, I never, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting somewhere and not bringing a teammate with me. So as I look at city kickboxing, and I look at the fact that you got a welterweight that's only had three fights... So world champion in something, and I'm guessing kickboxing, and quite frankly, and don't try to throw Adesanya in my face, and don't try to throw Maurice Smith in my face, I'm aware it happens, but you guys are also aware that for a world champion kickboxer to come to MMA and do well is not common. It's not common. For a guy from City kickboxing to come over to MMA and do fantastic seems to be the norm. So that's the deal with the UFC's newest guy, but I want to shift gears. And I want to ask you a question about some guys who have been with the UFC for a while. Guys, this is a short-term question, right? In the big picture, I'm well aware that this will work itself out. But if we look at it in the very short term, right now, right here, why should Connor and Weidman come back? And there's got to be an answer. And you need to support the idea even if you don't like it because those guys are in a different process They're in a rehab process, they're in a rehabilitation process, which takes motivation as well. The physical therapy and all the stuff that goes into that, the tricks that I would imagine it plays on your mind, I mean it needs some support. But why are they coming back and what is it they're coming back to? It's a very interesting question. I mean they both have this injury and they're both fighters, they're both tough guys. And they both aspire, and neither one of them wants to go down. But it it does at some point become the same problem that every gambler and every alcoholic has to face. One more drink. It's my last one. One more pull of the slot. Just one more. It's my last one. It ends up that same thing in fighting. And why would the result change? Like, what got better? Particularly if you're out and injured, you're not in the gym, you're not growing, you're not switching workout partners, you're not switching regimens or teammates, which generally doesn't work anyway, but it's at least a lie that you can tell yourself, right? I, I, did, I did this. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I did it. I'm just sharing with you, what, what are we doing? And then particularly, let's let's take Connor, right? If Weidman comes back, Weidman was one of the guys when he left, very meaningful, tougher than hell. If he comes back to that same spot, he's one of the guys, He's very meaningful. He's very tough. He's not going to be a main eventer. He's not a championship fight. He's one of the guys. Is that something you come back to? Is that something that you really want to come back to, to be one of the guys? I'm asking a question, by the way. I'm not passing judgment here. I'm just looking at it and going, okay, but if you do come back, and we know for sure you can't have gotten better. You can't get better by sitting at home doing rehab, right? I mean, you you, you see my point. So if the result isn't going to change, how many more do we need? How many more drinks? How many more? more pulls of the slot. What are we doing here and why? Very open to an answer. I'm just asking the question. Connors is a little bit more complicated. Why Connor is a master of building a fight. At least for today, there's only one form which is Poirier. If Poirier beats Oliveira when Connor comes back, when Connor would have to fight for a world championship, which is ridiculous. So what do you do? You just have a little bit of fun now, you rehab the whole thing, and then you steer the ship a little bit later. You steer it back to Nate Diaz, or you manufacture conflict with somebody else. Or you have one to get back as a way of qualifying, and then you get to fight Dustin for the championship if Dustin won, or Dustin loses to Poirier, and now all of a sudden he's on a loss, and now he can fight Connor again for the fourth time. It just gets weird. The whole thing gets very strange, because it's tough to answer the question, Why? I want there to be an answer. I want there to be an outlook. I want there to be something positive, but if you're just coming back to be one of the guys and or attempt to remedy a situation, right? They're they're in two opposite spots, but you're left with the same question of what is this for and how many more times are we gonna do it? And is it just, hey, look, if we bring you back and everything goes great and you get a win, are you out, do you promise you're leaving, There's, there's just a one back? You proved you could beat this energy. You proved it could come back. It'll be a real positive story, but you exit stage left. Or what do we have to do? Do I got to bring you back one time, let you get beaten? Then I got to cut you. I got to talk to you in a back room, tell you to stop it. I mean, what is the deal here? How many more times are we going to go out there and try to punch somebody and try not to get punched by them back, right? It's it's one of those things. And those guys are true fighters. I'm not passing judgment. I respect the hell out of them. Those guys are true fighters. They get up when it's hard. They answer the bell when they're down. I don't know if there's a better example of two fighters than what Weidman and, and Connor are going through right now. But after they climb that mountain, we still have to answer the question who are you going to fight and why and for how many more times? It's a tough spot. Everybody gets brought into that. Coach Kavanaugh waited on that with Connor. I want to say it was after the Floyd fight before Connor even came back to MMA. Coach Kavanaugh said, Before I train him, I need to know why we're here. I don't know what this is about. Is this about a world championship? Is this about just making a little bit of splash? Is this about having some fun? What is this for? He said, I won't train him until I get that answer. Now, they didn't share with the rest of the world how that conversation went or if Coach Kavanaugh got his answer, but I trust that he did. But that was a a responsible adult move by Coach Kavanaugh to even bring that to attention. I'm attempting to do the same thing, and in some part, it's none of my business. But the other part, I am a fan. I do observe it. I do have a level of knowledge because of my experience and time within the sport. As I do look at that situation, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Because it will be one hell of a comeback story to rehab, fix that, and get on with it. But if it's about a cash grab or you're tempted to return to a main card or an opening fight, or if Connor's attempting to return against Poirier, who's 1-1 away from being the champion, like, things start to get a little bit weird. And it's just a conversation. This isn't resolved. I don't attempt to resolve it. I wish very much uh, those guys the best of luck. Very much. The question is going to have to be answered eventually either way. Either way, at some point, you're going to have to say this is my last walk. So how many more drinks, or how many more pulls, or how many, any level of addiction, they're addicted to the sport, but it's still a problem that you have to deal with sooner or later. All right, guys, let's focus our attention on tomorrow night. Now, Conor McGregor, as all of you probably remember, has a history with one half of tomorrow's co-main event. I promised you guys a breakdown of UFC 265 on Wednesday. So allow me to talk about the co-main event, the main event. And then after that, I'll tell you a story. My official prediction, Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz. Guys, I'm taking Aldo. I'm taking Aldo and largely because I'm inspired by him. Jose Aldo... Like, numbers don't lie, and for me to tell you numbers on Jose Aldo would almost be impossible to do. I don't know how old he is. I mean, I remember when I met him, people were telling me he was 24 years old, and I was like 32 at the time. People were telling me he was 24 years old, but two years later, people had said he hadn't lost in 11 years. So did that mean they started his record like 15? He started fighting at 15? I remember the night that Connor beat him. It was 11 years. Jose hadn't lost in 11 years. I'm going, well, he's got to be... He's got to be 30 then, but he's not, or wasn't. He's still a young guy. I respect his commitment to the sport. Again, let's let's just go back to, to when I met him. And when I met him, there was absolutely no conversation. I got put in a holding area and the Brazilians hated me back then and Jose gets put in the same area. So it's just he and I. So I tried to do the, you know, we're going to be standing there looking at each other until we get pulled out for this press conference. So I went over to say hello, and he smiled and he was friendly, but there was absolutely no English, and we didn't have much of a back and forth, and that was the end of it. But he was also at 145 pounds, and way back then, he was talking about, this could be my last fight. You know how guys do that, when guys are on top and then they try to dingle this in front of us like anyone's going to care if, if you leave the sport, but they all go through that phase, this could be my last fight, yeah, there's a way to get people to beg them to come in. But he was working that gimmick back then. Okay, great. Fast forward, he, he runs into Connor, he loses. That made him so hungry. After he lost to Connor, I appreciated what he had done before that. I appreciated the skills. I was in the WEC. I mean, I watched the flying knees and guys falling down and getting knocked out. To watch the hunger that hit after he lost to Connor. And then later in life, to drop from 145 to 135, he saw that as his greatest path back to a championship. Either way, he had to change his physiology. He had to change his lifestyle. The calories he consumes versus the workouts he does to burn the calories, how much he has to sleep, where he's going, I mean, he really made this new commitment to MMA. And he'd already done everything that you could do. That record's not gonna be beaten world champion of WEC and the UFC, 11 years undefeated, one of the biggest pay-per-views in history. Like, he's got numbers that aren't likely to be beaten. But he got hungry. He got hungry again. He drops down to 135. He looks pretty damn good. One of the first things that happens when a fighter slows down is just that. That's a literal statement. The fighter will slow down. And it's very obvious to us, the viewer, We see it almost two years before the fighter sees it. We see it at home, this is a shot fighter. He doesn't have it, but he takes about another two years. Three or four more fights, okay. I'm not seeing it with Aldo. I don't see him one bit slower. At 135 pounds, I have seen him taking more shots, but I submit for you that's not because he's slower, that's because 135 is a little bit faster. The other side of that coin that in large part evens out is he's able to take more shots at 135. He can absorb them. Even though they're quicker to get there, they're not the same power. And I think that all those combinations are ever bit as good. The way he'll throw a two and he'll dig that three right to your liver and come with an outside leg kick, it's as good as any combination in MMA. And you're guaranteed that combination at least one time in every Jose the fight. It's worth tuning in just to watch him falling to the right as he digs that liver shot and comes back with the kick when you see Pedro Munoz. Pedro in many ways represents the new Jose Aldo, and these guys' body types are very different. But I don't think that Pedro is as fast as Jose, let alone meaningfully faster. I understand that he's longer. I understand he can stay outside. Pedro Munoz is tough as an old leather boot. I don't doubt that at all. But history says Pedro Munoz is gonna beat Jose Aldo. History says the younger guy is going to beat the old guard. I'm just here to submit for you, I don't think that old dog is ready to let go of that bone yet. I'm seeing in many ways the opposite. I'm seeing a hungrier and more motivated Jose Aldo now than I used to see when he was the champion when I met him and he was 145-pounder going to press conferences talking about, I'm looking for a way out of the sport. It's very relevant, your mindset coming in. It's very relevant if you can back a guy down ahead of time. Jose Aldo has never been a master of that. He's never been a master of going to a press conference, making sure the other guy understands full well what he's getting into and getting him scared before the fight happens. He's not a master. But he's also not a guy to wilt at a press conference. He's not a guy to read who the favorite is. He's not a guy to buy into the idea that Pedro Munoz is younger. He's not a guy that's gonna look at it the way I just presented and say, well, history says. Each fight's its own fight. He's gonna get to the target. It's gonna be a long night. He's got no problem going 15 minutes hard. Right When I talked about those 11 years that Jose Aldo was undefeated, nine of those years were in championship fights. They were five-round contests. And while not very many people went there, he was prepared to go there. So 15 minutes, it's a very light atmosphere. So I suggest for you. Jose Aldo's approach is going to be meaningful. Jose in a co-main event, in a feature spot, on pay-per-view, sold-out arena, old hat. Does that help him get a 10 versus a 9 with the must system? Should it go to the judge? I I get it. There's a lot of fighting to be done here. I just think if you sold your stock... I'm taking Jose Aldo. That's my pick. But I also would submit for you, if you sold your Jose Aldo stock just because there was a couple of bumpy times, I think you bailed a little early. All right, my official prediction. Derek Lewis versus Surreal Gone. I'm going Derek Lewis guys. I'm putting the curse. I'm putting the hex on the Black Beast, but you got to hear me out I am well aware who the better fighter is. The better fighter is Surreal Gong I'm also well aware where this fight is going to take place, which is a stand-up battle So now Derek Lewis who is a street fighter with some major power, pretty polished street fighter But we can agree he's a brawler is gonna be in there with a professional stand-up fighter How do you possibly take Surreal or how do you possibly take Lewis? Okay Hear me out. It's a power issue. It's a power issue. We have seen a number of kickboxers come over to MMA, and they do not do well. I could count on one hand the ones who have succeeded, right? I could go back to Maurice Smith. I'm going to throw Marco Huaz in there because he had a stand-up background. All the way to Adesanya. I mean, there's not a whole lot. I could also name the ones who came over and fell flat on their face. We're just terrible. It was like a different sport. Why is that? Okay, it's just because of the gloves. Traditional kickboxing is not in line. Muay Thai, by example, is not in line with Western boxing. Western boxing believes a lot in head movement. The Muay Thai guys do not, the kickboxers do not move their head. They have these great big gloves on. They will literally, one of the top defenses that you will see in glory or in kickboxing is they'll put their chin down and hold their hands up just like this, like a child. It's called a shield. And quite frankly, it works really well. It works really well. Somebody's coming at you, you bury your chin just in case something comes from the side. You hold your gloves up and you wait until they're done. You let all the punches and kicks come off of the gloves, come off of your shin. In MMA, you have to have that Western boxing. You have to have head movement so you don't get hit. It's one of the reasons when the kickboxers come over to MMA, not only do they lose, they get knocked out. Unless you have somebody, and I'll use Adesanya just because he's the most recent example of success. He has massive head movement. He respects power. He respects the name of the game. Clayton hires 101. I touch you and you don't touch me. That's the game that we're playing here. Okay. Now, Surreal is pretty damn good at managing space. Surreal does some things very, very well. Derek is going to have to make this ugly. And you can always beat a guy better than you. If you brawl a boxer, you can beat him. But the boxer is playing the same game in reverse, right? You box a brawler and you brawl a boxer. Derek Lewis is a brawler. He's going to have to have power. I don't think that Derek Lewis is going to find takedowns. He doesn't have great takedowns. Between the two, he's the better wrestler. He doesn't have great takedowns. But if he can threaten them, if he can offer, if he can get to the clinch, if he can change elevation, if he can make this ugly, he has to understand range. And range, much like distance, much like footwork, are just buzzwords that some jerk throws out because he wants to pretend he's a fight announcer. Unless you understand it unless you actually understand reach if you actually understand what it means to stay on the outside or what it means to get on the inside. There's not a ton of fighters to do I submit for you that I've been pretty impressed with the way surreal does it He does understand that I think if you go watch his fight with Junior Dos Santos It's a fine example where he understands distance Derek's gonna have to double cross him and You can double cross a guy particularly if you're bigger than him and Derek is Now, this is a stretch. If I could have one of their skills, Derek Lewis or Surreal gone, i just I got to have one of their skills. I take Surreal's, no question. I don't think that they're very comparable in terms of skill. But you have some intangibles that lean towards Lewis. He's very explosive. He is much bigger. He is a straight-up brawler, which means you don't know what's going to come. He's also really hard to hurt. Tell me the last time you saw Derek Lewis get knocked down. Tell me the last time you saw Derek Lewis get hurt. Even if Surreal's landing those leg kicks on those tree trunks that that Derek's got, he can absorb a a few. I am counting on Derek to break the range gap. I'm counting on Derek to make it ugly. I'm counting on Derek to threaten a takedown. I'm counting on Derek to be invigorated by the hometown crowd some stretches by me, right? There's a reason I don't get very many of my predictions right, okay? I'm taking some liberties, I'm taking some stretches. I'm also taking the black beast, Derek Lewis. Dana got asked about Vitor and De La Hoya, and Dana said, I pray that Vitor knocks him out ambitiously. And by the way, I like Dana. I respect fight promoter Dana. I don't know that that's my favorite Dana anymore. I look forward to Fridays, Dana's doing this new thing where he's a food critic, he's breaking down food, and it's not like high-end fancy cuisine, or at least not all, I mean I watched one two weeks ago, first off he starts the thing out and he says, happy effing Friday everybody. I don't know why you have to put the effing in, like why can't it just be happy Friday, why has it got to be happy effing Friday, but only Dana can make poetry out of words like that. At any rate, he's going to go down. He generally does it right there in the UFC. The chef makes something and they do the camera on it. And Dana takes a bite. And, uh, the whole thing's fun. It's just it's just fun. It's a nice escape, by the way, to not always have to be talking about the punches and the kicks. He's really good at doing it. But the one that I'm referred to a couple Fridays ago, a couple effing Fridays ago, he leaves campus and he goes down to some shop and they make a burrito out of cotton candy. So they've got like a rainbow-colored cotton candy. It's got like three or four rainbows in it. They roll it smooth. They put scoops of ice cream in. They put sprinkles. They put I mean whatever you could do to have a sugar overload. And then they roll it and fold it just like a burrito. And he hold, I mean I gotta imagine your fingers are sticky and the whole bit. And he bites into it. It's this great piece. I look forward to effing Fridays just to see these food breakdowns. Dana gets asked. About De La Hoya and Vitor. Says he wants Vitor to win. He wants him to win viciously. In case you guys don't know where this comes from. Okay. A number of years ago, De La Hoya decides that he's going to get into the MMA business. He's going to be a direct competitor of Dana's. He grabs two Hall of Famers in the forms of Tito and Chuck. Two guys that Dana used to manage. Puts them at the top of the bill. Now everything was wrong. Everything was off. I understand all of those things. This is intent. De La Hoya's intent was to come in and take market share. So Dana's not just going to let that go, he's not just going to forget that. And there was plenty of ways that Oscar did it. There was plenty of back and forth between these two. But it hasn't been forgotten. I'm just reminding you in case you're wondering where this comes from, that's where it comes from. I'm not sure that Oscar wasn't striking back though. Because it was all right in line when Dana was talking about getting Zufa boxing up and running. So I think, my own opinion, I think that Oscar felt threatened. And Oscar thought, well, if you're going to come into this world, I'm going to come into your world, and I'm going to go first. And it was a major bleeding edge, cutting edge. Dana did not do it. Dana lost absolutely no money, got a whole bunch of headlines. Oscar did do it, lost all sorts of money, and closed up shop. It was one of these things where maybe that would resolve it amongst them. But for some reason it didn't, on either side. For some reason they, they kept coming back and forth. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm I impressed with Oscar for taking this fight. Everything's going to be very clear to us when this fight is over. Whether this was a good idea or was a really bad idea. But it is the first of the ideas where the boxers are generally trying to lure some MA guy over. right? Like Tyson Fury trying to lure Stipe over. Not Tyson Fury coming in to the octagon to fight. It's always the other way around, where they're trying to lure him. Oscar taking on Vitor was the first time that I've ever seen one of those fights and go, whoa, the boxer's going to lose. Vitor's just too big. Vitor's just been too active. Vitor's just too young, at least in comparison to Oscar. Now, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I've seen a little bit of footage of Oscar in the gym. He's as slow as molasses going uphill, and he, he is grossly overweight for what Oscar used to be. He's also agreed to the fight at like 175 pounds, or as 185 pounds. It was something that would be the highest Oscar had ever competed at, but the lowest that Vitor has been in a meaningful period of time. There was something about that. And just as I follow Oscar over the years, and I've followed him since the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, he personally really believes in weights. That's just a personal thing. I never got into it. When I became a fan of the sport of MMA or thought I was going to get into it, they weren't even weighing guys in. Then when I did get into the sport, we agreed upon weight classes, but I was in my fourth fight before I ever saw a scale. The announcer would announce weights and all. We never once got onto a scale. My fourth fight until we ever got on a scale. It was just one of those things where I was brought into it differently, but I have followed Oscar, and Oscar really does care about weight. All the way down to half pound. Fits 136 and a half. Fits 148 and a half. I'm only bringing that to you because he's breaking some of his own rules. He was very desperate for a fight, apparently, and he made some real concessions. Now, who's the better, Bosker? I get it. Oscar's a special talent. Does he still have it? It's just one of these things where that fight, I don't despise it. I never did and there's a part of me, regardless of outcome, I did appreciate that Oscar agreed to it. On last Friday's episode, I talked about Simone Biles' decision to remove herself from the team event in Tokyo. And to close out today's show, I'd like to add more context to that and tell you guys what I think of her return this week. Simone Biles comes back, gets a bronze medal. You know, I got to tell you, I, I never felt totally comfortable speaking about Simone. Because of the code, you don't ever kick somebody when they're down. It's just one of those things. You give them a hand up. Now, once they're back on top, they're back to being fair game. Simone pulls out. She felt some pressure. She leaves her team. She quits on the team. That happened. She works out whatever she works out in conjunction with USA Gymnastics putting out completely false statements. I mean, USA we're monitoring her. We're going to continue to monitor her daily. You're not doing a goddamn thing. She'll tell you whether she's going to compete or not. The same as she did the first time when she said she was going to compete. You bought her an airlines ticket. She said, I'm not going to compete. And you pulled her on the sidelines. Same as will happen and now has happened when she come back and tell you a third time she's going to compete and you stuck her back on the mat. I mean right, I mean USAG, as bad as they could screw anything up over the last ten years of all of the lawsuits and everything they've been drugged through, they gotta know when to just shut their mouths. And it's the golden rule if you can't tell the truth, say nothing at all. And USAG can never tell the truth, including on something as silly as whether an athlete is gonna walk on a beam or not. Okay. So here we are, and she comes back, and she does it, and she got third. I love that. I love that very much. But now that we are speaking freely on the topic, it's what I had as a problem when she quit in the first place. If she was in the lead, if she had done her best routine, if she was sticking landings, and she wants to stop, it's completely different than you have a bad day, you don't like where the result is heading, so you quit. It's very, very different. Because as an athlete, you owe the competition their due. If they're good enough to beat you, or if you're bad enough that they can beat you, you got to let them beat you. That was the biggest problem of Simone quitting. It wasn't her feeling pressure or her being honest with people or her needing to be assessed. That's all human and that's all fair. It was even maybe polite that she brought us in on that because she didn't owe it to us. She could have just sat down. It was a cool move that she shared with us why. The problem was it wasn't going great when she held up the white flag. Do you guys see the difference? If something has began and you don't like where the outcome is headed and you quit, it's very different. I had a coach. When I was growing up, Roy Pittman, and he would show up to every tournament every Saturday. He never missed, still hasn't in 54 years. But he would have a white towel over his shoulder. Now, the white towel being the universal sign of surrender, he would take that towel and he would throw the towel in during a wrestling match. That would cost his guy the match. Ref, we're done. Stop the match. My guy loses. In my time with him, he'd only thrown the towel in twice. I don't know if he's thrown it in since. I'm going to leave it at two for the sake of the story. But Coach Pittman would never threaten to stop a match, and never did stop a match, if his athlete was losing. He would only throw the talent and stop the match if his athlete was winning. Now, you stop the match because the athlete wasn't doing his best, or the athlete wasn't listening to the coach, or the athlete was trying to make the opponent look bad, which in wrestling is easy to do if you're meaningfully better than your opponent. You can take him down and let him up. You can push him and shove him, you can toy with him. There's things that you can do. If you tried to make the opponent look bad, he would stop the match. He would wait until the opponent had scored more points on you. I apologize, he'd wait until you scored more on the opponent. He would never stop it if his guy was behind because that's an excuse, that's a way out. To stop a match and then with the Conor McGregor, what well, was a doctor stoppage? Who gives a goddamn how you lost? Who cares how you got beat? It doesn't make a bit of difference. There's no silver lining to put on it. And if you attempt to, you're taking away from the opponent, which is unsportsmanlike. So that was the biggest problem with Simone quitting. It wasn't the pressure. It wasn't all the human emotion. The biggest problem is the competition had began. She did not like how it was going. And she took away from the win of the opponent. She tried the old Conor McGregor. Dr. Stoppage doesn't count. Yes, it does. It absolutely counts. And you should have finished the competition, including coming in second, third, fourth, or fifth. You should have lived with the result, the same as you forced your opponents to do. So when she came back and got third, is why I'm complimenting her. She did the same thing in the beam routine as she had just given up on a week before. She did not look great. But she didn't quit. She stayed the course. She let the people who showed up On the same day, in the same competition, upon the agreed rules, as her, have their due. She took to the stand. She got the bronze put around her neck. But that's procedure. It's the right thing to do. It speaks to character. It fixed what had happened before, which also spoke to character. Good news in life, you get a redo. You get a fix it. There's reset buttons that are built in. The world's a big place, and I see people get stuck in the cracks. I see it all the time. I see it in sports. The guy dropped the ball his senior year in the playoff game, and now he's a drunk 20 years later. But he can tell you why he's a drunk, why he's not a good family member, husband and or father, why he can't keep a job down. He can tell you specifically. It's all because he dropped the ball in the game. But there's all sorts of ball-dropping-in-the-game stories. People get stuck in the cracks. There's built-in reset buttons in life. No matter what you did in life, When you graduate high school, it's all forgiven. It's all forgiven. Wouldn't matter how much time you spent in the principal's office, what papers you didn't turn in, it's all forgiven. You get that same redo if you go through college and you get that graduation. You get that same redo the day you get married and the day that you have kids. There's these built-in reset buttons within society, but if society doesn't give you a reset button that you need, take one anyway. If you're doing something that you don't want to be doing, It's not other people that are telling you. It's not just your parents or your friends that are gonna sit you down and tell you. You know good and well I'm being a knucklehead. I don't wanna do that anymore. I'm starting today, I stop. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you get to sit down Saturday night and watch what should be an exciting fight I'm off to Houston, but I promise I'll be back here next Wednesday to talk about UFC 265. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.